The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I'm so happy to have Eugene Ferraro as a guest on the show today. I've known Gene for many years as a private investigator, a colleague, and a friend. And besides that, he's now a prolific author, and he's written more than a dozen books and numerous articles. And now Gene has launched a new venture, that of being a publisher. So Gene has been on the show previously regarding workplace investigation topics, but today he's going to tell us how to write a book. So before we get started with talking about that, however, Gene, let's talk about you. Sure, Francie, and good morning. It's a pleasure good morning. to be here. Good morning. Well, first, I know you've been on the show before, but there are, we have many listeners that didn't, maybe didn't hear that show. So tell us how you became a PI to begin with. Well, <clears throat> I'm a former military officer, and as a result of my uh, service, I became involved in investigations. And uh, when I completed my obligation, I found my way into the, the world of private investigations. And my first employer was, believe it or not, a small private detective agency in Los Angeles called Hollywood Detectives. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. That part I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually I became increasingly involved, and my specialty became workplace investigations, those matters involving employee theft, dishonesty, fraud, white-collar crime, harassment, and effectively business, uh, crimes against the business, whether perpetrated by an employer or outsider. So that's really my space, and that became my specialty for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, and you said you were in the military. That was the, the Marines, correct? You were, you were a pilot and a uh, combat flight instructor? Yes, I was uh, both a pilot and flight instructor, but I was also a uh, JAG officer, and that's how I became exposed to investigations. Mm. And uh, my first realization in coming into the private sector was how disorganized those who conducted investigations actually were and uh, that they lacked process. And for anybody that knows anything about the military, everything has a procedure. <laughs> and <Right. laughs> in, in the then world of private investigations, uh, there were very few procedures or processes. So I, I set out to impose those uh, first upon myself and then establish them or help establish them for the industry. Yeah, that's great. And I know you built an amazing company. Um, Talk about your hotline company a little bit. Sure. Um, The name of the company today is Converse, and it began as a private investigation company. In late 1990s, I realized that most of the investigations we were conducting were the result of tips, employees coming forward or somebody tipping the organization off 
to some form of alleged misconduct. And I thought, well, if we could get more tips, we could get more opportunities. So we, we built a very rudimentary hotline using a, uh, 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 a telephone answering service and eventually built it into a global enterprise. In 2013, I sold controlling interest of that to private equity group. They changed the name of the company to Converse, and today it's the third largest provider of hotline services in the world. And I believe um, what I, you told me is that it, it serves 45,000 client locations in over 150 countries. That today. is correct. We have some of the biggest uh, names in industries as clients. And today we process about 65,000 incident reports or tips a month. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. And then, uh, then what happens after the tip comes in? Well, it depends upon the individual customer. Uh, our system is web-enabled, and it allows each customer to customize and design their own distribution of that report. I think what's remarkable, regardless of where the call or report comes, 60% of those incident reports are made via the Internet. But regardless of how they're obtained or from where, we guarantee our clients will get those reports within three minutes. Wow. That's that is astonishing, <laughs> even then. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Now, um, with the sale of the company, you then became a, a title called Chief, Exec, uh, Chief Ethics Officer. What is, what is that, Gene? <laughs> well, I stepped <laughs> down from CEO and became the, the uh, Chief Ethics Officer. And my responsibilities are general oversight of all of our internal and external practices to ensure that we conform to the standards that we preach and help promote for our, our clients. So it's sort of, an in, it, for those familiar with law enforcement, it's sort of a form of internal affairs where we have, when necessary, uh, the ability to investigate alleged employee misconduct that is internal to our organization mm-hmm. and help guide the organization in its policies and practices relative to governance around the world. It's complicated and time-consuming, uh, but it's also very rewarding. Interesting. Um, that's, a, that's an unusual uh, position, isn't it, in most corporations? Well, uh, it, it once was. Today, uh, most uh, internationals, if not all internationals and large corporations operating in the U.S., have some sort of ethics or compliance officer mm. to oversee to in, uh, and ensure that the organization is obeying all laws and regulations and is functioning ethically. Interesting. Okay, so that takes us to, um, you have started this new venture um, where you're assisting people in writing their own books. That is correct. <clears throat> I, um, I've been a writer for some time. My first book was published in 1983. Um, I self-published it <clears throat> because I couldn't find a, a publisher. Since then, I've uh, written now 15 books, and I have several. You're up to 15? I'm up to 15. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I left off at 12. How did you get three more written? Well, I'm busy. Like most writers, uh, I write more than one book at a time. Right now, I have three separate books going. Um, But that's really not uncommon. You might seem, uh, and your listeners may think that's rather remarkable and difficult. But like many of us, particularly in the investigation industry, we, we handle more than one investigation at a time. So a, a book in many <laughs> regards is just another function of that. Um, one needs to be organized, have good ideas, and be able, of course, to write. 
So we know PIs have stories. You just have to get a group of us together, and you'll soon find out there's a wide variety of what private investigators get into. The topics are just endless. So if you want to write about your experiences, where do you start? Where do you... Tell me what to do, Gene. (laughs) A good idea helps. And anywhere you find investigators in a bar... Uh, you will find those kinds of stories. And most of us, whether we're investigators or not, have something to say. We have experiences or knowledge uh, that is likely valuable to somebody else if properly prepared and presented. Um, and I'm asked this question many, many times, how, how, uh, or often, how, how is it that one begins and where do they, where they start? And the real answer to that is rather simple. The first question I, uh, I offer in response to their question is, why do they want to write a book? And that's really the starting place. What is the purpose of this endeavor? Because writing is complicated, it's time-consuming, and it's very demanding. And good writing takes hard work, like any other profession. Um, One has to put their elbow into it and, and work hard. So the starting place is, why do they want to write? Now, generally, there's two answers. Uh, the first answer is what most people would think is the most common, and that is because they have something to say. Well, that's fine, and th- that, that might be worthwhile, um, but it may not necessarily be productive, and it may not be marketable. The second answer is they want to make money, um, and that's a very s- suitable uh, uh, reason, and I think uh, an important one, particularly for those in business. If one were retired and ma- money didn't matter, they could write mm-hmm. on any topic. Mm-hmm. But for those of us in business, writing establishes their credentials. It establishes them as an expert. And if you think about it, every book that one picks up, uh, and I'm talking in the, in the nonfiction genre, uh, you pick up, you, you immediately um, believe or, or uh, understand that the author is an expert on that per to- topic or the book would never have been written or, or published. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> Books provide the opportunity for the entrepreneur, private investigator, or business person the opportunity to establish themselves as an expert and help market their book, their uh, uh, business or service offerings. And if you think about it, uh, a good quality book in, uh, in the 300-page range is really a 300-page business card. It's the ability mm. to market oneself and establish them in the in the market as the expert. And as I told many of my clients when I was writing investigation books, most of which were how-to, um, I, I, I told my uh, client prospect, uh, who are you going to hire, the guy that read the book or the guy that wrote it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really a good question. Yep. So yeah. <clears throat> it's an opportunity to, to expand their market, their reach, and establish themselves. So you're talking about... Um, instructional type books, not say mysteries or case a ca- book about a case or something like that. Well, that that that's one aspect of of nonfiction. The, the the next question, once one decides what they want to write, is the question of what is the market for their endeavor. Um, who is going to buy the book? How big is it? And how are they going to penetrate that market? Uh, those that have uh, interesting stories, life experiences, important or interesting cases, that's one market. Mm-hmm. The bigger market, though, for most of us in the investigation industry are how-to books. How, d- how does the investigator or customer 
accomplish certain tasks or objectives. And often there's very big uh, uh, markets for those. Really? One has to decide what is it that they want to do. Storybooks are very good. They're very interesting, and many of them um, uh, are uh, very successful. And, you know, outside the investigation uh, genre, just look at the the most recent bestseller, Broken. Mm -hmm. So it depends what they're attempting uh, to accomplish and the nature of their business. So if, um, okay, so let's take an example. What, what would you suggest would be an example of something somebody could write about and where would they start? Well, it, it, the, the process begins with the commitment to write. I'm going to write a, a book um, because it does take time. Um, my most recent investigation uh, book uh, the completed manuscript was over 1,200 pages mm. and contained uh, 650 sites. That's references where I used other books to support my thought, idea, uh, or, or message. It's a monumental task. So one first has to make the commitment. I'm going to do this. And the purpose of this book and the outcome of this book is, is, is to accomplish the following things for me or my business. Next Examine the market. How am I going to market this book? How am I going to get it into the hands of, uh, of readers? And what form is that book going to take? And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the publishing aspect in a moment. But there are many options. Of course, we have hardcover books, softcover books. We have folios, which are very simple uh, how-to uh, type books that may only be as little as eight pages to a hundred pages, but there's also the magnificent world of ebooks. Mm-hmm. And today, most book sales are ebooks. So interesting. It, it, one has to decide: okay, what is the path going to be? And then they need what I call the original idea. What is the idea? What is the message? The central theme of the, the book's concept is, is: is it how to perform surveillance? how to perform surveillance without detection. Is it uh, uh, e-discovery? Is it locating missing persons? Is it undercover? What is, what is, it that there, is, it, is, what is the original thought or message going to be? And then build an outline around it. Most of us in the industry, whether it's investigations or, or, or other, have a good idea what others are doing in the industry. And they know where there's gaps. If I wanted a piece of information and I couldn't find it, that might be. Uh, the subject of a very good book if I, in fact, have the knowledge that has yet been published. Mm-hmm. And, and so before you start writing, you, you said an interest, uh, significant piece there, you, do a, you make an outline. That's correct. And all of my books begin with an outline. What is it that I want to say and how am I going to say it? As one becomes more experienced and with several books under their belt, this process becomes increasingly easy. But I, I use something uh, comically called the pilot method. And that is, I make piles in my office of, <laughs> of books and resources on the topic, papers okay. and things that I've downloaded, and another pile of simply ideas. And I begin to organize it in a simple uh, banker's box, creating folders, putting pieces mm. of information in each folder, which will 
ultimately become chapters. Then the chapters are organized in some semblance of order. And by the way, halfway through the book, I might decide that I'm going to reorder the chapters. I might want to uh, start in a different place or end in a different place. But I begin by collecting the information. And quickly, uh, one who is familiar enough with on a, uh, on a particular subject to write a book begins to see the book actually take shape. The next point, once I've collected sufficient amount of information, I put pen to paper, and actually I use computers, but <clears throat> I begin to write. And nonfiction books, surprising, uh, surprisingly to most of our listeners, are not written from start to finish. I very often uh, uh, begin with the title. I spend a lot of time deciding what the title of the book is going to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. and the introduction, because the introduction describes what is it that I'm going to provide the reader? What is the promises I'm going to make if this reader purchases book and invests the time to read it? What are the outcomes and benefits for them? And then I start with the stuff that I'm most interested in. It might be the last well, chapter. And it if might- you take that, if you take that into another arena, say, um, as you know, Gene, I'm taking, I'm going to school. So if you take that into another arena, arena and talk about writing an article for example, or a, a paper for something, you're talking about doing something that's similar to an abstract. And Yeah, yeah that's right. right? Uh, yeah, it, and an article really is an abstract. Mm-hmm. It, it, okay. it's, it, it's an idea uh, uh, on a specific topic or subject, and a paper is something a little bit l- uh, lengthier, and a book is just something longer than that, that it uses the time and space to go into the detail necessary to communicate a point or uh, uh, provide information on a particular subject. So it's all process-driven. The point is, though, that that the writer first has to sit down and decide what is it that they're going to write, who, who is the market for this, is it sufficiently large to justify the investment of time and resources, and what's the ultimate outcome? I mean, it's fine. You might, might want to write a book to just provide to your friends and family. That's yeah, per- right. That's perfectly fine. Um, Gene, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Do you mind? Sure. I'll take a quick break and come back to this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We were just talking about how to start writing a book, and I was just telling Gene off the air that what struck me as he's describing his process is that this is exactly, and I'm sure many investigators that are listening to the show out there and people that aren't investigators in other kinds of businesses can relate. This is very similar to uh, preparing a case file to investigate a case or or developing a case file as you go along through the investigation. It's the same process. It's so interesting, Gene. Yeah, and it, 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 as we were talking off the air briefly, that's how my first book came about. Um, one of my first uh, job assignments was Locates. And over a period of time, like uh, most of us, we collect files and resources and information. And this was, of course, pre-Internet. And I one day looked down at my little banker box sitting beside my box, my desk and said, you know what, this is a book. If I, uh, if, uh, uh, I researched this and found this information, other people could benefit from it too. And I sat down and uh, wrote my first book, You Can Find Anyone. And it was a remarkable success. I sold 65,000 copies of that book. Did you really? 65,000 copies. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a huge success. And it and really that, that, sort of... What year, what year was that, Gene? Well, I published the book from 1983 until approximately 1987. There were, there were four editions of the book. Um, and I finally decided, I, was, I just got too tired of it. And I gave it back. And uh, early last year, I decided I'm going to go back and rewrite that book. And starting next month, I've already researched it. <laughs> I have all my piles. I'm ready to dig in and write the fifth edition of that uh, book. Mm. Mm. I like the pile method. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so so you do an outline. Do the, does that outline become the chapters? Yeah. Um <clears throat> And, you know, with the, with the marvel of computers today, you can move those uh, chapters or what begin as chapters around. And then I make the decision whether or not I have enough content. An important other aspect of it is, and I think this is a duty we owe our readers, is to genuinely research the, cho- the topic. When I sit down to write a book today, <clears throat> I will generally read uh, somewhere between 20 to 45 books on that topic. Read them cover to cover. Many I'll, I'll uh, 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 flag or outline myself and capture details that I think are, are valuable. But we owe it to our readers to provide the most current and accurate information. And the only way to really do that is to see what other people have written on the subject. Mm-hmm. What is the new, new thing? What is going on in that particular space? Uh, it, and it provides the benefit to the writer of uh, identifying gaps 
and looking at their different styles. And for different types of books, there are different styles. I've written uh, a number of textbooks specifically designed for uh, higher education, and that book format is quite different than the typical how-to or, or, or book written for general consumption. How is so, it different? Well, <clears throat> because textbooks are used for higher educational purposes and, uh, and often taught from, they have to have key learning points. That is, for each chapter, what is it that the student is going to extract or learn from that? And generally, at the end of each chapter are questions to test the skills and comprehension of of the uh, student. And those questions are then used for examination questions or other purposes by the instructor. Mm -hmm. And it has to be detailed and referenced. And uh, like my last textbook, I had 650 references relating back to uh, newspaper articles, other books and texts and papers mm-hmm. on the subject on which I was writing. And that's to, for the purpose of that is to establish credibility and demonstrate to the user, reader, or student that the information that is being provided is valid. It's just not something out of somebody's head or an opinion. Well, and the other issue is attributing the sources, correct? Yeah, you, you... and, and uh, uh, sites are done in in an established uh, way, providing not only the the document that was used, but who wrote it, when when it was uh, written, uh, uh, who published it, and when. So, and that's appropriate. We should recognize our our colleagues uh, for their contribution, as I would hope they would do mine, so... Well, this is fascinating, Jim, Gene. So... um, you talked about self-publishing, and you have launched this uh, company called Author Vista. So, how, which is a publishing company, correct? Correct. Self, for correct. self-publishing. Yeah. Well, let's first. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk about self-publishing. But let's first uh, share with the, our listeners the difference between the author and the publisher. Okay. The, the author is, is the individual or group of individuals that actually write the manuscript. They do the research and produce the document. And, you know, a manuscript, as I said, may only be several pages or it can be several hundred pages. <clears throat> but that's the author. The publisher is, is the entity, or in some cases individual in the world of self-publishing, that actually takes the manuscript, prepares it for press, arranges the publication, that is the printing of the book, and brings it to market, marketing, or to, brings it to market. They are the people behind the actual printing, delivery, and uh, uh, sale of the work. Traditionally, the publisher and author were two different entities. Publishers like myself, or writers like myself, would create a book, we would shop the manuscript, that's what it's called in the trade, mm-hmm. and attempt to find a publisher who was willing to actually print it and sell it. It's mm-hmm. difficult and uh, very time-consuming and often uh, disappointed. Even as a publisher of my, myself, um, with as many books that I have done and done successfully, uh, I recently proposed a book, and I had 36 rejections from uh, publishers. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult, even for those who have have published. Today, however, there's a a new and even more rewarding method, and that's called self-publishing. Indeed, in 1983, I self-published my first book, 
because I thought it was the way to go. Little did I know it would become an industry in and of, it, of itself. Mm-hmm. But today there are remarkable tools available by way of the Internet to allow anyone to quickly produce a book <clears throat> on any particular topic, design a cover, format the book properly and professionally, and get it online in days. And enjoy the, 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 the benefit of huge royalties. Give you an example. Mm. Publishing traditionally, and one of my publishers is CRC Press, Taylor and Francis. They're the largest textbook publisher in the world, and that's for whom I have written most of my uh, textbooks. The royalties mm-hmm. on those books, which some took me as long as two years to write, are five to ten percent of the cover price. Self-publishing through uh, uh, Amazon, which I'll go into in just a, a, a moment, the royalties are seventy percent for the same book. Hmm. So for, for many of us, including myself, it's a no-brainer. And so many people had approached me saying, Gene, how do I do it? I finally said, you know what? I'm giving away free information. I'm helping people. Some <laughs> take my advice. Some don't. But I need to write a book on this. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I get into the business of providing this service? So I started my own publishing company. Now, my, my self-publishing company, of course, publishes my books, but I publish books for others as mm-hmm. well. And I also provide shepherding services. I tell most of my customers, I don't need to publish this for you. Let me show you how you can publish it and take the 70% royalty mm-hmm. instead of just taking 10% from me. Become a published author yourself. And one of the most remarkable tools available to us is something called CreateSpace. CreateSpace.com is a tool now owned by Amazon. They recently purchased it, which allows anyone to upload a manuscript, design their cover, format the manuscript, <clears throat> have it reviewed by the editors of CreateSpace to ensure it doesn't have uh, uh, inappropriate content such as pornography, mm-hmm. and almost instantly, within 24 hours, that manuscript, your book, is available on Amazon for sale with its own webpage. The author has to do nothing. All they do is write the book, upload it, and set the price. It's absolutely remarkable. So the publisher then does all the formatting, the cover, the all of that. The, the way the book comes out, the appearance of the book, is the responsibility of the publisher? That is correct. Okay. And, and for those that self-publish, there's a lot of tools to help them properly format uh, their book and the, it, it, creating the look and feel and include the design features that they want. CreateSpace provides that assistance and a plethora of free tools they can use. But there's other resources that will help them format their ebook, help them format their paperback. There are services that will help them design the cover, and the cover is an important ingredient. Most people uh, believe that you can judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. It's very true. A bad cover on a good book will not sell. So... <clears throat> It's a process, but uh, for those listeners interested in pursuing this, the first stop should be CreateSpace. It's easy, uh, it's very economical, and it's fast. And how does that differ from AuthorVista? Well, I help for those that don't want to go through that or endure the learning curve to self-publish using a tool like CreateSpace. And by the way, CreateSpace is not the only uh, resource providing that service. But I help them 
um, <clears throat> either find their way through CreateSpace to find final publication or establish their own self-publishing organization. And that, that service is called shepherding in the industry. Taking the author or would-be author and their concept and moving them through the process of concept to completed published book and managing the publication and distribution of that book. Hmm. So it depends upon the customer. Uh, and I suggest to my, to my customers, take more control of it. Uh, and so, some do. Some don't have the time to do that. They say, Gene, I'd like you to handle everything. And fine, we do. We take care of the entire process. We guide them through the writing. We help them edit the manuscript. We provide them tips and things that the, the manuscript should include, how it should be perfor- pre- prepared professionally so it's accepted by the industry. So libraries are interested in writing it. And there's, mm-hmm. there's certain conventions every quality book should adhere to. Having a preface, a table of contents, a foreword, <clears throat> a uh, copyright page, a title page. All of these are little nuances, but give the book credibility. Mm-hmm. And the market's going to want that. To just give you an idea how, how big this, this is, Amazon, through CreateSpace, publishes about two and a half to three million books a year. Hmm. Okay? That's amazing. Now, many of those books don't sell, but many of them are blockbusters. Some of, some of the books that we've never even heard of, some of the e-books that Amazon publishes through CreateSpace have themselves sold over a million copies. Well, the interesting thing is, um, and I just have to tell you a little a quick story. I knew a guy a number of years ago. He was an investigator, um, probably not the best investigator in the world, and he certainly couldn't write very well. And he wrote a book, and that, that book got him all kinds of uh, media attention and all kinds of things. It was the worst written book I've ever read my, in my life personally. It didn't make much sense. It, it was grammatically incorrect, but it got him attention, and it, for some reason, the book gives you credibility. Most books, <laughs> most books do. My first book was terrible, okay? <laughs> it was full of typos, grammatical errors. It was just terrible, but it sold because the, the, interest, the, the topic was of sufficient interest. And uh, it, it, it got me business. It got me publicity. I went on talk radio. Uh, it was a huge success because of the idea, that thing I mentioned earlier, that original idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if one is pursuing those uh, um, purposes or, or objectives, the original idea is key. If they just simply want to write a book about their stories, the success of their, their agency, or tell a, a, about an interesting case, you know, that's another approach. It depends upon what they're attempting to accomplish and what they're going to do with it. But it surprises me, Francie, that many of our colleagues, investigators, have yet to write a book. It's the most perfect marketing tool any of us could ever have. You know, it's a time issue. I, I, at least for me, it's a time issue. I think that is for most people. It's hard to take the time out of the day. So, how do you, when you were working as a private investigator, Gene, did you set aside a time a day? Did you get up early in the morning? How did you do that? Yes, I uh, I did. 
Um, before I, I sold controlling interest of my company, I was the CEO. I had a very busy job. It was an international corporation. Um, we had many, many employees and many things going on. So what I had to do, so I didn't disrupt my business day with my writing, I decided to get up early, about 4.35 o'clock, and write for three solid hours mm-hmm. every day. That's what it took. Um, so it depends upon, you know, one schedule, obligations. Do they have children? Do they have other obligations that are going to uh, impact that schedule? And simply decide, okay, I'm going to write three pages a day. If I intend to, to, to write a 300-page book, which is appropriate, mm-hmm. it's going to take 100 days. That's three months. Okay, multiply times two, that's six months. That's possible for almost anybody. They can find that time. What's more... Once they begin writing, they begin to see that manuscript take, pe- uh, 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 take shape. They're going to become increasingly motivated and inspired. It's an mm-hmm. enjoyable process. And, <clears throat> you know, pub- being a published author is the only avenue to immortality. <laughs> Think like about that. it. Yeah. Well, and you know, when you break it down that way, Gene, uh, you know, down to, uh, you know, X number of pages, X number of days, X number of months, that feels doable rather than being overwhelming that, oh my gosh, I have to start this book and it's going to take me the next five years to finish it. That's right. And some books do take long. Uh, My uh, most recent book on virtues, uh, I spent 10 years on. Now, that wasn't solid. Okay. It's a very simple book. It's under 200 pages, but I researched and toyed with it for 10 years. I never put that schedule together because it was sort of a a, a book of personal interest. My other books, I did have a precise schedule, and I stuck to it the best that my schedule would permit, and lo and behold, I finished the book, and uh, it was a great success. One step at a time. That's what it takes. Every journey begins with the first step, so Exactly. We need to take another break, Gene. Sure. And that was the voice of Gene Ferraro. Stay tuned. He's got much more to offer. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Gene Ferraro is with, here with me today talking about a former private investigator, now uh, author and publisher, talking about how to get your book published. It's kind of an untapped area for private investigators, in, in my opinion. So, um, Gene, we were just talking offline about ghostwriting. Tell us about ghostwriting. Sure. Um, the alternative for those who either don't have the writing skills or the time to write their own book might consider hiring a ghost. A ghost is an individual who digs deep into the brain of the author. And let's get our vernacular correct. The author is the person whose name is on the cover of the book. The writer, or ghost, is the person who actually wrote the book. Mm -hmm. So an alternative for many is to hire a ghost to write their book. And remarkably... Um, some of our best and well-known authors uh, themselves began as uh, ghost writers. Uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, to name um, uh, w- one. So, uh, well, Mark even Cor- the Nancy, even the Nancy Drew series. If we could bring it back to private investigators. Even the Nancy Drew series was all ghost-written. Cor- correct. Mark Twain was a ghost uh, uh, writer, and most. Mm. Best-selling nonfiction political books have been ghostwritten. Politicians, mm-hmm. famous people, haven't the time. They're too busy being famous. They don't have the time to write a book, so they engage, engage a ghost. And for those who, who, who uh, enjoy books and, and, and shop online or go to bookstores, look at the selection, and you'll see uh, the name of the individual, the author, and beneath it will be with Gene Ferrero, or whoever that ghost is. The mm-hmm. with is the person who actually wrote the book for the author. Interesting. All right. And you've, ghost, you've ghostwritten books yourself. Yes, I've, I've ghostwritten at least 12 books. I, had a, I can't even recall at this particular point. The, disappointingly, though, as a ghostwriter, you enter into a contract with the author such that you don't disclose the book was written by someone else. And I, I would love to talk about some of these books. Some of them uh, are very popular, and I would suspect that uh, some of our listeners, if not most, would know some of those books if I revealed uh, those that I've written. But here's another alternative, um, and this is something that Author Vista offers, and that is customizable books, books that I have already written on a particular topic which I offer the author the opportunity to retitle, rewrite, reorganize, add to, delete, um, and recover. Where I actually wrote the book, they can add to it and modify it as they wish, and we publish the work as theirs. Hmm. These are called customizable pre-written books. 
And uh, the concept uh, is a relatively new one, and uh, it's been very successful for me. In fact, all of, all of the books that I have available that I've written, allowing them to be customized, I have already sold the limit because I don't want to sell too many to too many different people so that somebody picks up two different books with two different covers, two different titles, and the contents are the same. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I set a, a, I've established a limit of how many times I will sell a particular manuscript, and right now I've got them all sold. So, Well, that sounds really strange. So why is that okay? Well, <clears throat> why is it ethical? Well, yeah. As the chief ethics officer, I can assure right? you <laughs> that, that it's, uh, it, it, it's okay. It's a practice that's gone on um, for, for as long as books have been published, that somebody else wrote the book and someone else took credit for it. I think it is, as long as the, the individual uh, clearly uh, st- states that the book, has, uh, as it exists or is published, was the result of others providing assistance and guidance, mm-hmm. I think it's completely uh, permissible and I think it's completely ethical. And as long as both parties agree, you're not stealing it from them. Yes, that's correct. And that's, a, that's another topic uh, that deserves an hour discussion, and that's copyright and how copyrights work and what is right. permissible and what's not. But that's correct. It's a, it's a contract agreement where I say, this book, Francie, you can put your name and cover on it, and you are welcome uh, to sell it. It's, it's, just, it's just, uh, just fascinating. I can't quite quite get my head around the customized uh, book thing, but sure, I'll give you a real quick example. Yeah, I'll give you a real quick example. One of my textbooks was entitled uh, Investigative Interviewing. In fact, it was my last um, uh, textbook. It was published in 2014. Several people uh, read it and said, you know, I'd love to do a book on interviewing. And I said, well, <clears throat> I've already written another book, which I did not publish, on interviewing. It's different, so I don't infringe upon the copyright of the first book because I used a publisher. When, when authors sell to a publisher, they sell the rights to the book, including copyright. So they, even as the author, can't use that content. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I wrote an, a, a companion book, which I did not sell to the publisher, and I told those authors <clears throat> that what we could do is take that manuscript, they could customize it, personalize it, so the, it's their voice, their look and feel, and uh, they could be the author. And uh, to accept that, and, uh, those books are in process. I can't tell you more details because I don't, right. I don't want to uh, uh, well, impinge sure. on their opportunity. But... <clears throat> That's how it's done. It's very simple. Um, uh, uh, they didn't have the skills or time to do it themselves, so they took my book, modified it, and uh, we're going to go to press probably uh, before the end of the year on both of those. Hmm. And they'll be great books. I'm uh, sure they'll be great books. And I don't mean that just because I wrote the underlying <laughs> manuscript. Because you wrote it? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I know a lot about uh, writing and publishing. So I help them uh, uh, produce a quality professional book and they're very proud of it so yeah yeah okay so the advantage for somebody that has that does work with you on a customized book is they do exactly what you say you get they get their name out there it's like uh, 
a full-size business card. Uh, it establishes them as an expert, and it's productive for their business. It's usually productive, and, and it, there, there's other opportunities once one has a book in their hand. Uh, speaking opportunities, whether it's in front of the Rotary Club, <clears throat> some trade association meeting, but also training. They can speak to the topic. Two of my investigation books are used uh, for the foundation of uh, two-day um, trainings that I perform for ASIS International. One is Corporate Investigations, and my book entitled Workplace Investigations is the textbook which each attendee receives in that two-day course. And then investigative interviewing is the second textbook used in a two-day interviewing course provided by ASIS International. And, and for the private investigator, investigator that gets in front of an audience such as that, where you have 100 students in front of you wanting to learn from you in your textbook, uh, these are customers. These, these are people who, after, after those trainings, say, can you help us with this investigation? Can you train our people? It produces uncounted opportunities. It's huge. Well, and I and I know for a fact that you have done exactly what you're talking about, um, because I know that you conduct seminars across the country, and you're very busy. You have a very busy schedule doing those seminars. Yeah, I probably have uh, at least at this point, uh, this early in the year, I have eight scheduled for the balance of, of the year, and they produce opportunities, um, and, and uh, you know. Every one of those opportunities reestablish the speaker, author, as the expert. And uh, everybody wants to meet the expert. Everybody wants to meet an author. Right, and right. So it's so, something um, every investigator should consider. Gene, give your website, would you? Sure. Because there's lots it's, of good information on that website. Sure. It's author Vista. One word, author Vista, V-I-S-T-A dot okay. com. Okay. And what kinds of things uh, would someone one find on that website? Well, they'll, they'll find out about a, a little bit about our organization, some of the offerings that we have, the different programs we author, uh, offer, whether it's a customized uh, pre-written book, ghost writing, or if they want assistance relative to publishing their own work and just need some shepherding assistance. It depends upon the needs of the individual. We also have a resource page talking about things such as copyright, Do's and don'ts, marketing, and other types of things would be interesting, of interest to an author. Mm-hmm. And what what happens? If, say, Author Vista doesn't have the kind of a book that, say, I would be looking for. Then what do you do? Uh, good question. I'm speaking to such an author right now, and he he is interested on a book on leadership. And I don't have such a book available. I have a, a, a draft manuscript that I was actually going to publish several years ago. It needs to be refreshed, and we're talking right now if it, if it provides or contains the message that he would be interested in. He's provided me an outline. He says, in my leadership book, this is what I want it to look like. This is the content and message, the look and feel. And we're negotiating right now whether this content is foundational enough. Because ghost-written books can be very expensive. To start a book, a ghost-written book from scratch, is anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars for the author. Mm. Okay, and there's so not many of us that have that kind of money to spend right. on a book. So, <clears throat> a customized uh, pre-written book is much less expensive. It's faster and often produces the same result. So, 
yeah, I would contemplate uh, writing a book. If I thought it was uh, uh, marketable, I would contemplate a book on almost every uh, reasonable subject, such as leadership. And, and can you give me a ballpark fee of what it would be for a customized book? Sure. Um, compared to a, uh, a, a, a ghost-written book, which is in the fifteen dollars to $25,000 range, we're talking anywhere from 1500 to $3,500 for a customized book. In addition to that, we can get it out in a month instead of six months. That seems very reasonable. It's very reasonable. It's one of the reasons that I sold so many, sold so many <laughs> of them. And uh, you know, if I just had more time, I'd write more. So, yeah, I well, so you already write twenty four hours a day. I don't know how you'd have any more time. It's uh, yes. well, <laughs> I still do some investigations. I also have a full time job as chief ethics officer. No, I don't write 24 hours a day, but I spend a lot of time at the computer. <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is uh, this is just fascinating, Gene. Uh, it just uh, it for me, and I hope for my our listeners here. That's opened up a vista. How do you like that? Yep. A, <laughs> a new vista for uh, consideration, actually. Well, it's something I think every investigator and professional sh- should consider. There's nothing like it, and the joys of seeing your name on the cover of a book is like few others. And you're absolutely right. Is is it is the way to become immortal? If that's what is that is what your desire is. Even if you just publish something for your family, they can hold it up and say, "Well, it's it's a legacy, and it can be a gift," which was one of the drivers in my book, Virtues. As a gift, yeah. And your book, Virtues, that just came out, it's very, it's called Virtues and the Virtuous. It's, a, as I call it, a, a, it's a bedside book. It's, it's a bedside kind of, read, nightstand it, read. It's a nightstand read. It's something you can pick up for a few minutes and get a little gem of wisdom, um, maybe a little spiritual influence. It's, it's very nice. Well, thank you very, very nice. much. It's part of a series. It's something, as I said, I've been working on for 10 years. I finally sat down, completed it, and I have uh, volume two nearly completed. It will be uh, going to press, so to speak, at the end of this month. So. And I'm sure you get so much satisfaction when you actually complete the manuscript. Oh, it's wonderful. The, 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 the best day is when that box of fresh books arrives on the doorstep, you tear it open, and there is that perfect there it is. book and your name on it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Gene, this is, this is really, it's great. Thank you so much for sharing this information. Uh, I have seen uh, your information around at various conferences. My, my bad, didn't pick, take the time to pick it up and read it until you were going to be on the show this week. And uh, I'm really fascinated with it. Well, so I, I'm, I'm glad you are. I hope your listeners are too. And uh, it, well, listen, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone. I talk to many want-to-be authors every day. They can go to the website, ping me with an email. We can coordinate online for a conference call, and uh, they can pick my brain. I'm more than happy to help anyone, particularly those in the investigation industry. And how would they reach you, through the website? or The the website is best. Um, Our uh, office phone number is 303-816-1636. That's 303-816-1636. But the best way, because I'm constantly on the move, is email. 
Very good. Okay. Jean, thank you so much. This has been really good. And uh, let me just say really quickly, thank you to my sponsors also. I research a proprietary data provider for legal professionals. And they can be reached at www.irbsearch.com and PI Magazine, the magazine for private investigators at pimagazine.com. Join me again next week, folks, when we declassify more real stories from real investigators and the benefit of uh, people like Gene Ferraro, who leads our industry. Every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.